Are you wanting to live in a way that brings the light of Jesus to your neighbors? Are you wanting more in your relationship with God and wondering how Jesus did this thing called discipleship? Are you feeling worn out by religion and wanting to get your joy back? In this episode, I have a compelling conversation with Gina Mueller about life-giving discipleship and how to live a more Jesus-shaped life that impacts our family, our church, and our community. Gina is the director of 3DM North America. It's a nonprofit that provides schools and training for empowering missional disciples to change the world. Gina is also married to Jeff, and they have two kids. Gina is the host of the Everyday Mission Podcast. She is a woman I love and I greatly respect. She has taught and shown me so much of how to live more of a Jesus-shaped life and how to disciple women his way. We hope you enjoy this episode and that you take your next step to follow after Jesus and to bring a person with Hello and welcome to Priceless Backstories. My, I am your host, Amy Price Bromberg, and I am excited to introduce you to you today, my friend Gina Mueller. Hi, Gina. Hello. Hey, hey. Fun to hey. see you. Yeah, long time no see, right? That's right. <laughs> yeah, um, Gina and I were actually in Minnesota recently for what we call the Athletes in Action Learning Community, um, and there was a lot of snow there, wasn't there? There was. It was a. Uh, it, it was kind of a dump before all that happened. Yeah, it really was. I think there were like twelve to fifteen inches before we arrived. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's been like honestly, it's just been such a privilege and a blast. Like the last few years to get to know you um, as a friend and also just as a leader. And you've poured so much into my life, you know, in terms of growing as a ministry leader. And so I'm really excited to have you on the show. Um, and for our guests, I know that I've had friends, Gina, who have actually mentioned to me that they're looking forward to this episode because there's a curiosity out there, I think, of like, what does it look like to personally grow in our faith and our relationship with God? And also a curiosity of like, what does it look like to help others grow and make disciples? So we're going to be tackling some of those topics today, um, as we go. Cool. I love it. Sound good? It's going to be good. Cool. Um, well, what I like to do on the, the podcast is start with the first four, just to give, um, people the opportunity to get to know you a little bit better before we get into kind of, um, your backstory and, and more topics on discipleship. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and ask you the first question. And actually this is for you to know on our, we had a 12 to 13 hour road trip back, right. From Minnesota. And some of our new staff on our staff team actually came up with these questions for you. So that's oh kind goodness. of fun. I was like, what do I ask Gina if you could ask her anything? So that's where these questions are coming from. Okay. All right. But Bring them. First question. So if you could pick one food to eat for the rest of your life every day, what would that food be? Oh, my word. Um <laughs> I pick eggs. I pick eggs because I need the protein and you can do so many different things with eggs. Like they're not always the same form every time. So I pick eggs. Interesting. Okay. I That's not what I would have guessed, but I like that. <laughs> it's interesting. Okay. Well, the next question I have for you is what is your favorite thing to do outdoors? Oh, okay. I'm a mountains girl. So okay. if you... If you would give, which is funny because I, I was born in Nebraska, uh, like flatter than flat Nebraska. Um, but if you give me the choice of beach or mountains, I will pick mountains every day of the week. And huh. so I love to do really like, I love hiking. I love the mixture of like, 
a lake in the mountains. I love woods. I love yes. just like the peace of walking through the woods, being like so totally surrounded by woods. So I like, yeah, all of those things. Very fun. I think one of my favorite things about where you live currently is you've got like the coolest backyard. It's true. Like, yeah. So I thought she's got to be, I would imagine she's an outdoorsy person. It's so. true. Yep. We have a, a river right behind our house. And so we can go kayaking and stuff right from our backyard. It's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, the third question I have for you is what, are you familiar with the Enneagram? Yeah. Oh yes. Okay. I love it. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, so what Enneagram type are you? I am very, very, very one. Okay. And, uh, boy, it's, um, all the one things. So ones have the inner critic, the strong inner critic, and that is for sure, for sure happening. I call it the, the mental demons. Uh, I oh also gosh. recognize that ones, mm. um, like have just a ton of personal responsibility. And so okay. I, I hold myself to a super high standard. Um, ones also cannot tolerate incompetence. And so I find that is a struggle when working on teams. Yes. Huh, I'm learning a little bit more about you. <laughs> yeah. So what what is the name for a one? I'm not I'm, I'm familiar but not super familiar with all the you know, the titles. What's the name for it? Perfectionist. Oh. Okay, you're a perfectionist. Yeah. I'm I'm a two. I'm a helper. So I feel like yeah. our personalities are very different, but there may be some similar, you know, core things there. So, yeah, very interesting. So as we move on from the Enneagram type into the next question, the question is, if you are a competitor in the Hunger Games, what would be your strategy and what would be your skill set that would allow you to win? Mm. Okay. I want to know who came up with this question. One name's on this one. That's right. Um, I, so here's the thing. If I'm going down, I'm not going down alone. Okay. So I, my strategy would be to build a team Yeah. and I'm a maximizer. So I would like assess and survey all the team strengths and like, you know, deploy everybody into their strengths to max maximize, you know, the goods on our team. And yeah. I feel like the one in me would have a hard time with this whole thing, <laughs> but I, I feel like I would be, be like the whole, my whole process would be like, how can we win as ethically yes. as possible? <laughs> yes. That's great. I'm like, and who chooses to do it alone? Like I, I would be similar in the sense that even being like a former athlete, right. I'm like, I'm going to find the right people that are going to be yeah. fun. Like that I want to be with on my team, but they also have like skill sets that can help us to win. That's right. right. Like, that's right. So I hear you on that. Like if you're, if you're trying to be the Lone Ranger on Hunger Games, I don't think it's going to go so well, but it does get kind of dicey, you <laughs> dicey. know? A little risky. Yeah. Yeah. A little risky to be on a team. So all that's fun stuff. Um, one thing I love about what you do is that you just have a sense and a heartbeat of really wanting to see missional movements um, in, in churches and in different parachurch organizations as well. But I kind of, I have a glimpse of it, but could you share with us, like, what does your role look like? And I also would love to hear some of the backstory of like how you got to the place of being the 3DM 
the rector of North America's. <laughs> hey, uh, yeah. so the, the, one of the core things that I am most passionate about, there's a couple, but uh, I feel like one of the things that I'm um, like calling to, to me, like what's your calling is kind of like an elusive thing in, in my opinion. But I feel like okay. one of the things that God's invited me to participate in and like be a part of one of the things that I'm super passionate about is helping the church kind of like fully live into her sentness. I feel like the church, if I, if I look at the kind of church that Jesus built, it was not inward focused. It was not trying to maintain and keep the people that we already have. Mm. It was very like movemental. It always was thinking about uh, like equipping and releasing all people. And yeah. uh, so there's something like movemental and mobilizing about the kind of church that Jesus built. Mm -hmm. And so I feel that to me is like a core passion of mine as is equipping everyday people. And so, and I'm sure that we'll, you know, dive into some of those things in, in a little bit, but yeah. um, what I get to do for 3DM, 3DM works with churches and nonprofits and everyday people basically to, to train them how to live like Jesus, like mm. reorient our lives around the way of Jesus to become disciples who are like actually have the tools and the skill set to be able to make more disciples. So disciples who make disciples who make disciples to me really is a descriptor of the kind of church that Jesus built. And so um, we, we work with a lot of churches to help them shift the culture of their church, mm. a lot of ministries to help them shift the culture of their ministries to really be a mobilizing disciple making kind of ministry. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I, I mean, basically I get to lead the team that's leading stuff all over, um, North, North America. So kind of fun. Wow. Very cool. So is that like, would that be considered like a remote, um, job or do you have to be in like a certain city or a certain area of the country to do yeah, what you do? Question. Yeah. So for my role, it is remote. So I work from home. Okay. And we have hubs that are like kind of like uh, training centers, but they're not just training centers. They're a place that you can go and see what it looks like lived out in real time. Um, and so we've got hubs that are all around, you know, Canada and the U.S. And we work with the team in South America as well. And um, so I get to help kind of give vision and direction to the whole 3DM North America and invest in leaders around um, those spaces. Well, so did, like, could you have seen yourself doing what you're doing today? Like, has ministry been like, I'm thinking like when I was, when I was in college, I was an education major and my, my goal was to be a middle child education teacher, right? Like there was no thought in my mind in terms of ministry full-time like that completely was unexpected you know when I was invited in to join athletes in action senior year and so God had this call in my life this sense of like I couldn't help but like I just knew this is something that God was leading me towards and so is is this like even the heart of what you're doing today like is that something that you've kind of sensed like most of your life or when did you first start to realize that was a passion for you I love this question. I thought I was going to be a youth pastor forever, like a lifer, oh, yeah, like a forever kind of youth pastor. Okay, I'm super passionate about youth pastors not using mm. 
you know, their job or the role that they play as a stepping stone to get to something that was quote unquote more important or something. Yeah. So I really, truly thought that I was going to be a lifer in youth ministry. I was really passionate about student ministry and discipling young leaders and all that kind of stuff. And so um, I knew that I was called into ministry from 10th grade. Mm -hmm. So I did know, I, I, I did know that there was a, like an invitation from the Lord to Mm. go into ministry as, as a vocation, but I didn't have any clue that it was going to be what I'm doing now. In fact, many years ago, when I was a super young leader, fresh out of college, really gave my life, all of it to the church. And there was a time where I realized actually, when I started being discipled by some leaders within the 3DM kind of crew, I recognized that I didn't have one single friend that wasn't following Jesus. Like I didn't have any non-Christian friends. There was no missional anything in my life at that point, which if you know, my story now is like, that was a pivotal moment for me. So you were in full-time ministry. Um, but when you looked at like, who were the people that you hung out with, who your friends, they were, they were all believers. All like at them. the time I went to Christian school. Yep. I yeah. went to college at a, a Christian university, okay. um, knew that I wanted to, you know, that God was calling me into ministry. And so I didn't have a grid. Like I just wasn't awakened to or aware of anything missional. Like that wasn't anything about yes. like anything that I saw or knew or was exposed to or anything. And so I really had built my life around giving my life to ministry hmm. for people who are already in the church. And so discipleship to me at that point, my understanding of discipleship at that point was taking people that already were following Jesus and helping them become more mature. Yeah. Gathering the believers, right. And helping them to grow in their faith. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like in and of itself, you know, and I'm even thinking about like how, I mean, we need teachers that are Christians in the classroom. Right. And we need youth youth group leaders who are leading teenagers and junior high kids, middle school kids. Like those are some of the, the people in my life who definitely impacted my life when I was in middle school and when I was in high school, um, you know, and, and so we need those professions. We need people doing the things, right? Um, but something that you have really, really poured into me and into our staff team over the last few years through this learning community is really seeing how Jesus, like, what does it look like to live a Jesus-shaped life? And uh, we talk a lot about the up and out triangle, right, with the top being the up relationships and then the in relationships and then you have the out relationships and can you could you connect the dots here a little bit and just unpack that a little bit and connect it with why that aha that aha moment for you was so significant absolutely so if if we're if we're thinking not just about the words of jesus but the way of jesus and we're and and what it means to follow Jesus is to become more like him that's our that is our discipleship journey from now until the day we take our last breath yeah is this process of becoming more like Jesus yeah yeah and a lot of times we think there's the inward part the character pieces of becoming more like Jesus that feels familiar the thing that i didn't know yet at that point in my life was that there what i had missed is living the way of Jesus and really understanding not just what he did, but how he did it, the way that he lived, the way mm. that he led. And so if we're looking at the, the 
um, the tool that you brought up with the triangle. Okay. So if up is, is the way that we're passionately pursuing God, we see Jesus got away to be with the father, to hear his voice. And that shaped his decisions and ministry and all the things. There's something about this vibrant, like pursuit of God and his presence to hear his voice, digging in the word, all of those things, worship, prayer, all of it. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's the in component, which is uh, our um, shared life kind of building community with other believers. And so you see that that's super important to Jesus. He picked just a few to give his whole life to. And so he discipled a few, but then he had this wider group that kind of hung around that also was a part of this, what we would call a spiritual family. So you have like Mary and Martha and Lazarus and then the people that were a part of his like wider community. And so there's something for us about this deep, as we read into the book of Acts, as they started forming these communities, this deep kind of shared life to us, almost like risky form of community Mm. that isn't just about programs and showing up to a Bible study or something like that. It's actually sharing our life with other people. That's the in part. And then there's the out component, which you see Jesus never lost sight of what he came to do was seek and save the lost. Mm. And so in terms of how Jesus spent his time and who he spent his time with, it wasn't just around religious people or those in the synagogues. It actually, Jesus, you you find him inviting himself over to a tax collector's house for dinner, or you, Mm. you see him going to meet Levi at Levi's, you know, he gets invited over for, for dinner and Levi invites all of his sinner friends and that's who Jesus is hanging out with prostitutes and sinners. And, you know, these, the people who would, would have made the religious leaders sweaty yeah, is the kind of people that Jesus was hanging out with. And the thing that I love is that, um, Jesus's first response was not to get them to change their behavior. There's something so compelling about Jesus that they w- wanted to be with him. And it, Jesus never moved the line on holiness but but that wasn't his first thing to deal with, right? And I think sometimes we forget that in the ways that we're interacting with people who aren't following mm. Jesus yet, um, yeah. which feels really important. But all that to say, the connection mm. for me is I was really good at up. I was kind of good at in, and I had zero out happening in my life, mm. none zero. Yeah, yeah. It was such a light bulb moment for me, like just seeing the simple tool, you know, to see and be able to even show with our college students, how are you doing in your up relationship with God? Because like that tends to be the biggest need, right? When we're discipling college students, they have busy schedules. A lot of times it just gets missed, or maybe they don't even know how a lot of freshmen come in and, you know, that we meet and they begin to be a part of athletes in action and discipleship. And it's super cool to see a lot of them saying like, I just want more of God. Like I want to know how to read the Bible and I I really don't know how to do that. So to be able to equip them with those tools, you know, and I think as an athlete and action staff person um, leading a ministry that even for us, we a lot of times can focus more on the up and really helping college students grow in their up relationships, create spaces for the in, right. For community, but then like feel like all of the out or most of the out, the actual sharing of the gospel and of our faith has to come from staff. That's right. Like it needs to come from the the church leaders. You know what I mean? It needs to, but in reality, I'm just thinking through what you just shared, like Jesus, like let's say he was the ministry leader, right? 
the cool thing about him was like, like he's bringing his disciples with him as they're seeing how he's having conversations with people who are lost and really not living for God and are far from Christ, you know? So I've been challenged through all that, like just learning that simple tool has helped me to go, where are we at? Are we getting, you know, out of balance or are we genuinely able to do all three and do it well? So, yeah, absolutely. I think the thing that feels so interesting to me and just never gets old is I'm, I'm thinking about Jesus who is really the most brilliant leader that ever lived. Mm. And we see in scripture that he was a really great communicator. So great that there were thousands of people, thousands of people that would gather to hear him speak or preach or, Mm. or whatever. They wanted to know what he had to say in a, in a period of time where there was not a sound system. And so you've got thousands of people that are gathering. The crowds are gathering to hear Jesus. What's so interesting to me is that he, we see from scripture that, um, you know, the Bible tells us that he was the most astonishing teacher that they had ever heard. So he was like a brilliant communicator. Yeah. What is really interesting to me is that Jesus did not create for himself this like, you know, circuit of preaching where he made himself the center expert who did all of the work of the ministry. What is really fascinating to me is that he used those crowd times. Those are significant times, but they almost um, sifted to find the people that were really ready to submit and follow him. And then he picked a few to give his life to. And Mm -hmm. yep, he did. He discipled them, which means he shaped their character, but he also gave them a skill set. He taught them how to fish for people. And he taught them how to do exactly all the things that Jesus was doing, healing other people, casting out demons, preaching, going on mission kinds of stuff. And so he took these regular, very ordinary teenage guys who Mm. were fishermen, docs, you know, tax collector opposites on the political spectrum. Like it's like their hunger games team. You know what I'm saying? Like they're on a mission together and they were all different guys who would not have chosen to be (laughs) friends. Yeah. And he pulled them in and he discipled them and he shaped them over the course of a few years. And he actually turned them into really fantastic leaders, but they were like who were, had the, the skills to be able to lead the things that Jesus was leading. But I like to say that they were like missional ninjas. Mm. And so when we're talking about up in and out, you see Jesus, that is what he invested in them. And yeah. the same things that those disciples did when they were with Jesus are the, just the same things that they kept doing. And so you see the, like the handprint of Jesus on the disciples as they kept leading when he worked himself out of a job. Wow. Like, you know. I gave you everything I got. Now it's your turn. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to let you guys do the thing. Yeah. So I just, I love, I love that Jesus didn't keep himself at the center as the expert. He actually equipped them very ordinary really people. And so they're actually the ones that started the early church. Jesus didn't. And I mm. think when we're, what you said about when we, as we think about how we lead ministries and churches, Oftentimes we leave it to the experts. We leave it to the people who are like seminary trained or like, you know, know all the things about the Bible and we want them to do the work of ministry and the people show up to consume 
the spiritual goods and services that the experts provide. And it's just interesting that that is the opposite actually to what the way of mm, Jesus, the way he did. Yeah. I, I would love to lean into the why. Can we, can I get your perspective on that? Do it. Why, why is that the case? Why do we see that happening in the church and ministries? Like, why is it seem to be focused on those that are leaders that are maybe full-time vocational, you know, why are we not giving away more ministry to just more everyday people? Uh, um, there's so much that we could talk about, Amy. From my perspective, we've created like an excellence culture that looks very different across the spectrum of denominations, across the spectrum of parachurch ministries. But we've just created this thing where it's like, we want to hire the best people who have the greatest skill set and all the things. Isn't it interesting that as you look through the whole story of scripture, God always chosed, chosed, always chose the unprepared, the ill-equipped, the person with the crazy life story. And that was the person consistently all throughout scripture. You're like, wow, why did God choose him or her? Like, whoa, that's, that's a whole life story. Like, you know, fugitives and murderers and rapists. And like yeah. that, that, those were the people that God chose to do these really big, significant things that are now the heroes of the faith. Isn't it interesting that we've chosen to do the opposite and we look mm. for the people that are all put together and have the rights, like the, uh, you know, all the educational grooming and all the things. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I just, I think that we've lost sight of the purpose of church. It, like, if I'm honest, I think that we've gotten it wrong. We lost sight of the purpose and we've created this insider thing that we want, at least in the West, I would say in America, in church, we want to make people better. We want them to know more. We want them to, we've like overvalued the information yeah, and we think that information transfer is discipleship Mm-mm. and we have undervalued obedience and actually hearing God and doing what he says. And yeah. so we've created really like spiritually fat people who know a lot of the Bible, but aren't actually doing much to live it out. And that's a really, that's a really challenging statement, but I think that we've, we have, um, we've forgotten what the purpose of the gathering of the people of God is for. Mm. I could talk about this for a long time. Yeah, no, I love it. Um, yeah, I'm right there with you. That's probably why a lot of people in the church don't feel like they're able to do the work of the ministry, which genuinely is taking what Jesus is doing in their life and giving it away. You know, like Timothy talks about that second Timothy, when Paul wrote the letter to Timothy, he said like, literally like, I want you to find faithful, reliable men and entrust to them the things that I've given to you. And Paul was Timothy's discipler, right? Like Paul had poured into Timothy. And so even with that, even like in the the early church, there was a sense of like, Paul knew my life is not going to last very much longer. Like I'm in a prison cell for sharing my faith, but I want you to take what I've taught you and just give it like in the context of relationship, giving access to your life, like begin to give that away you know? And so one of the greatest things, Gina, that um, when I was finishing my time at Wright State as a college student and joining staff, um, I was on a really, really great staff team led by Life and Gene Anderson. And one of the things that um, 
they taught us was to be quick to listen and obey. And they're like, if there's nothing else you hear from us as ministry leaders of this team, we want you to hear because you can take this wherever you go. Listen to the Lord and be quick to obey and do what he says. And I feel like that has been a really huge turning point for us as a ministry, as you and and 3DM has poured into us um, as athletes in action through the learning community, is really even just taking this tool um, that you've given us called the Kairos Learning Circle. And just as a tool, because a lot of college students too, maybe don't know how to read scripture. And so the tool kind of unpacks like, read the scripture, observe the scripture, like what sticks out to you, highlight what sticks out to you you know, um, reflect on why that is sticking out to you. Why is that thing, the thing that resonates with you? Um, and then begin to ask the question, like, what's God saying to me? Like, what is the thing that God is saying to me in the context of what the scripture means? Right. And I tell you what, like, it's been transformational to be honest with you. And, and so like, even as you were sharing, there's something about being quick to listen and just say, God, what, as I'm learning, how to study the word, right? We're getting more information. We're learning about God. How can we not just like package that and like, like you said, become spiritually fat, but how can we learn it and ask that discipleship question of like, God, but what are you saying to me in my life right now? What are you saying to our team or our discipleship group? And then going from there, like, is there something you want us to do about it? So how can we be quick to listen and obey? And I tell you what, you're totally right. Like just the transformation I've seen one of the gals I used to disciple just texted me this morning and I wanted to share this with you um, because it was so cool that she had texted me and she said, Amy, I've been listening to your, like every podcast. Like I didn't even realize she was, you know, it's funny because I know you have a podcast as well and you don't always know who's all listening, you know, and that's not really why you do this to know, you know, I don't need to know any numbers or anything like that. But I tell you what, when you get a text and when you receive a phone call, those kind of things for me, like it really, like it pours into me and it brings me so much joy, you know? And so I had asked Bradley if I could share this with you on the podcast today, because it goes with what we're talking about. And this is what she shared, um, Gina. She said, I, I listen to every episode of your podcast and I love all the little nuggets that I've got so far. One thing I took away from Leah's podcast is to take advantage of opportunities that God presents to you, even if you're scared. Um, and so I've been praying for God to show me what he wants me to do. Not even three hours later, I got a text message from my former college coach, coach LaPlaca asking if I want to coach for Oakwood junior high softball team. I think I'm going to say yes. Thank you so much for starting the podcast and sharing this with me. And Briley was one of the girls in our discipleship group at university of Dayton on the softball team. And she said, Hey, I want to learn how to disciple other girls. Like I'm getting discipled by my teammates. They're going to graduate. Can you teach me how to do this with the teammates that are younger than me? And so now she's graduated and so cool that as she had experienced a discipleship culture on campus and the things you're talking about, right. And, and learn how to just read the word, listen, obey, right. Listen to the podcast and say, God, what are you saying to me? And she's excited to do like nervous probably. Right. But like, how's this going to go? because there's a challenge to follow in Jesus as well. But there's a sense where she's like, I just want to do what God wants me to do. Yeah. I love that because she was immersed in a culture where discipleship was just happening. There was never, I would imagine there was never a moment where you could foresee this 
specific event happening in her life where you taught her exactly what to do and how to respond, that's not actually discipleship. It's, it's not, it's not boiled down to just information or wisdom huh. or whatever. Yeah. It actually is immersing in a culture of discipleship that is helping people learn how to hear God for themselves mm. and be radically obedient to the things that God is inviting them to do. And so I love that that's what, that's the gift that you gave her in a discipling culture. I'm kind of rounding the corner a little bit. Um, you talk a lot with us about what it looks like to be everyday missionaries. And um, I, I know part of your story, like you've moved recently, right? And um, there's just some things that God has been showing you and your family that you've really responded to the call in a really tangible way. And so would you be willing to just bring us in on what that move has looked like for you in terms of moving from the West Coast to the East Coast and what it has looked like yeah. for you in a practical way as a family to be intentional, to kind of live in that out, to really reach people um, where you live today? Yeah. So sometimes when we're talking about, you know, hearing God's voice and being yeah. radically obedient to what God is saying, sometimes that's like a small thing, like, Hey, nudge, nudge, go talk to this person. Sometimes yeah. it's a really monumentally big thing for your life. Like, Hey, nudge, nudge. I think that you should move across the entire country. I think that your family should be planted in a different kind of space wow. uh, to pioneer this kind of stuff. And so that was what we felt like God was inviting us to move. We were, uh, we lived in the Midwest. We lived in Minnesota and um, you know, there's something about the Midwest that is still a part of who we are. And we loved our life in Minnesota and we, we miss our people in Minnesota. That's still true today. Mm. Um, but there was something about, uh, I think a call for our family to be planted in a place that is a bit more unchurched and kind of like we, we, we say like a post-Christian kind of culture mm -hmm. where church isn't the norm. People growing up in the tradition of church isn't the norm. And so we said yes to that crazy thing that God was inviting us to do. Um, and so we moved from Minnesota. We kind of were on this crazy journey of following the the leading of God and all, all of that. And it's a very long story, but we ended up in Maine and you asked about like, what does family on mission look like? Or what does living like an everyday missionary look like for us? Um, in Minnesota, we were really intentionally investing um, for 10 years or so in our neighborhood. And so we really felt like we wanted to invest in the people who lived close to us in proximity to us. Hmm. When we moved to Maine, we were the new kids on the block. And so we had fresh eyes to see a brand new kind of missional context for us. And we really kind of take the posture of um, we, I, I, when I hear the invitation that Jesus gave his disciples, come follow me and I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. That to me says discipleship equals missionary living. Like, hmm. come follow me. I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. So to me, being a disciple and being a missionary are the exact same thing. Those, those, those two words are synonymous. To be a disciple means that you are a missionary. So that means it was the same for us in Minnesota, where we already were living. And it still is the same now in the context of our very normal everyday lives. So Jeff has yeah. a Jeff is not in, my husband's not in ministry. He goes to work every single day in a regular job. 
and our kids, um, you know, are in school and all the things. And so we're thinking about our community, the people who live around us, the town that we live in, what's going on here. And so we started to ask a lot of questions about our missional context and who lives Mm. here, what's happening here, what's God doing here, where's their areas of pain and brokenness, Um, what does it look like to be present here? Where do people gather? What do they celebrate? What do people here value? Those are all the questions that we're asking. And all of that kind of helps us collect Intel to know what it looks like to be the bringers of good news. What does good news feel like and sound like to the people that we're, that God's calling us to reach. Uh, and so we really felt like our kids are now teenagers. And so we, uh, really wanted to come behind them and help them reach their friends, reach other teenagers. And so um, the the very first year that we were here in Maine, our kids were in public school. And what we, um, you know, we're, our kids have always kind of grown up in a discipling culture in our family. And so they, all the things, they know that going to school means that they are going as missionaries in their mm. school hallways and in the lunchroom and all the things that they're involved in. And so our, my, my daughter, who was a sophomore in high school at the time, just started learning people's stories mm-hmm. and asking a lot of questions. You know, she's trying to make new friends in a new school and, and um, is meeting lots of people and asking their stories and getting to know them. And what she discovered is that there is in her particular high school, there was, there was an astronomically large amount of students that just had a lot of hurt and pain and brokenness surrounding their family. There was just a lot of, of family story that were, that, that was painful and, and broken and hard, Wow, yeah. hard stories. And so the question for us is what do we do with that? If that is our context, if around us, there's a lot of high school kids who just have a lot of hard stories around their families is there a way for us to offer good news in the midst of that is there a way for us to offer what we already have in our hand as a way for god to use and so that's really good yeah we were like all right let's experiment with some things and see what happens and so we just started inviting we we said we have our family has dinner together every single night of the week as much as we can let's pick one of those and we'll call it open table And that one dinner a week is going to be the one that we invite these high school kids into. And so we did that. We did that. That's what we did. You did that. Have you seen any um, fruitfulness fruitfulness or like just any wins from that particular, yeah, just experiment or that experience that you're creating? Yeah, there was a number of things that, that feel important for us. The, the regularity of it, the fact that it was every single week uh, mean the predictability of it meant that there was a lot of opportunity for us to build relationship over time. And so they started letting us into their lives and their stories more and more and more over time. And we just got to keep showing up and being present and, and like walking in when, when they open up their life to us, we just continue to say yes to that. Um, and so that over time led to some really, really, important conversations Mm. around our dinner table, like really like deep spiritual conversations and life conversations around our dinner table. Mm. Um, There was an opportunity for us to say yes to one of those girls living with us for five months or so. Um, So she came in and was more fully a part of our family. 
um, for a number of months. There's still, you know, relationship with with those kids. One of them last night was in a bind to get to work. And so he called my daughter for a mm. ride to work. And so there's just a, a way of sharing life in really natural and normal ways that is good news to people. So yeah, there's opportunity to have spiritual conversations and talk about Jesus, but there's also a way to in very normal life ways, you know, say yes to what's in front of us. Yeah, I love that. So for those listening, if it's maybe it's your workplace, maybe it's your neighborhood, maybe it's your sports team on a college campus, like it, you know, who are those people for you? That's what I would recommend is first to ask the who, like who is the area or the group of people that God really wants you to be intentional to reach, you know, and then secondly is beginning to consider asking them questions, getting to know them in a way that you can ask simple questions to find out what do they celebrate? Gina, I know like when we moved here to Fairborn, Ohio, that, that as we were learning this in the learning community, that's what we started doing, Jason and I, and just going on walks, getting to know neighbors as we'd run into them. We would, you know, say, Hey, what's your name? Where, you know, where are you usually from? Like maybe they had a dog, you know, what's your dog's name? Like it started really simple, but then it became learning like, what is this, what's this neighborhood like, you know, who are the people that we should know? Um, what do you guys like to celebrate? And then beginning to like try things and, and sometimes you'll try things and it totally bombs, you know, like, and sometimes you'll try things and and it goes great, you know, but, but trying to create spaces to connect with neighbors and to really bless them and, and ask the question as a family, like what, what would be, what would be, um, the good news to this group of people, what would my neighbor next door, what would be good news to her as I get to know her story, you know, and get to know really who she is better. So I love what you're doing. I love, one thing I love about it is it's not just, um, this is what I do as my job, but it's like really wanting to practice it in real life and just the heart to see people come and see and get to know who Jesus is um, and really get to be a part of a family there um, where you guys live in Portland. Yeah. Gina, thanks for sharing um, with us. Um, is there any anything else that you just want to kind of leave with us or any last words um, on this podcast? I just, To me, it just feels so important that we recognize uh, as we read scripture, um, we are the ones that God is inviting to participate with him in what he's doing in the world mm. around us. There is not somebody that's better or more equipped or more articulate or whatever that like that actually is the point and it's the most strategic thing because then the gospel actually reaches our relationships across every nook and cranny of society and so if you are listening and you feel like you are the one who is like ah there's got to be somebody that's better or could say that what what if I don't know how to answer I just want to tell you that I'm not sure that we ever get to the point where we're like I've got it figured out. I'm good at this now. Yeah. I've, our, our family has been living this way for, you know, 15 years. And I can't tell you that we've reached a point where we're like, now we know what to do in every single situation. It is always forever a desperation that God is going to show up and lead us in the moment. Yes. And with that, what has God given you? I think that's one thing to, to consider what is the thing God's already given you? You know, he gave Moses the staff, right? He's like, I I can't do this. And he's like, what did I already give you? Gina, for us, one day it was, I bought all these mac and cheese, like a huge box of mac and cheese from Sam's. 
One day I was going in the pantry to grab a mac and cheese to make some dinner. And I realized that the mac and cheese was going to expire in the next month. And I thought, okay, what has God given me? He's given me like 10 boxes of mac and cheese. And the mac and cheese, no joke, these boxes were actually the end for me to cross the street, get some courage, knock on the door, and to say, hey, I just moved in next door. What's your name? Do you guys like to eat mac and cheese? Like they're about to expire in the next month. And one of my neighbors said, Oh my goodness, like I'm always making mac and cheese for my grandkids. I'm so glad you got the food boxes. You know, and it's just like it could be the simple everyday things God's already given us, right? The thing you like to do or the thing that He's given us is the thing that He's gonna use to open up a door to really bless our neighbors, serve our neighbors, and, and hopefully in the future have spiritual conversations with our neighbors. So love what you're doing, girl. Um, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. And um, to those that are listening, stay priceless. What a gift it was for me today to talk about living a Jesus-shaped life and discipleship with Gina Mueller. What if everyday normal men and women who love Jesus really got it? What if we threw off every excuse, every doubt, And what if we would rise up to live in the fullness of who God created us to be? And what if our leaning into our relationship with Jesus would give us the courage that would change our families, our neighborhoods, and our cities for the good? My hope is that you will take your next step with God and with others, and that we will together reach out to a neighbor, a coworker, a family member, a teammate, by inviting them into our life and conversation about what matters most to them and to us. In our next episode, you will get to hear from a former Wright State softball player, shortstop Madison Hartman. Maddie is recently married to her husband, Brock Mathis, and we are bringing you a special episode focused on dating and relationships this month of February. Madison Mathis shares with us her backstory and how God led her on a journey to marrying her husband, Brock. I can't wait for you to join us. Go be priceless this week, and thanks for being on this journey with us.